Welcome to Faithful Film Fanatic. I hope you're feeling groovy as we're about to review another movie. Today I have special guests on Coconut Daddy as we are going to have a two-film uh, review today, White Lightning and Gator, and then an interview in a separate episode. So hope you're as excited as I am. Oh, yes, definitely. I appreciate you doing this. And all you listeners on Film Fanatic, yeah, we love you. Or faithful film fanatic, we love you. <laughs> Let me correct myself on that. You unfaithful film fanatics, you know what you can do. No, this is not Irish coffee. This is regular coffee. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't put some Irish in that? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like, I'm a little bit Irish, but my this is my German coffee. This is my German side of the coffee. So, but very, very organized today. No jocks for you. Are you trying to sound like Hitler? <laughs> Shh, you can't say that. You'll be canceled. <laughs> All right. So, um... I had a lot of problems with the films White Lightning and Gator, but right. you seem to like uh, them more than I do. So yes, yes, I do. Yes, 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 I do. <laughs> Don't you feel like the uh, beginning, the opening in White Lightning was very sloppy, and the way they did the beginning of the film? Yeah. And, you know, we kind of discussed this a little bit. And like I said, you know, you said you watched Deliverance. Did you not like that? You like that, right? I I like Deliverance. Yeah. Uh, you have to because the Oscar says it's good. <laughs> but they don't crucify me for this, but I didn't think Smoking the Bandit was all as it's hopped up to be. It, well, that's what I'm good. saying. It's a pop but movie. It's a, it's a popcorn movie. And I agree. It's better than White Lightning or Air by far, in my opinion. Well, technical still wise. a popcorn movie, but yeah, and and, 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 and again, and, and we'll go over this. Here, here's what I like about these films. This is what I'll say, okay? Because, like I said, this is a road to a blockbuster, which is end up being block, you know, smoking the bandit. And and here's here's what I see about White Lightning. The reason why I like it is, like I said, you know, um, number one, it, it, you know, it's done on a smaller budget. It's not, you don't, you, you have basically a, uh, I want to say gorilla crew that is out there filming something. They're not like gone to film school and not like they've, they've been, oh, these are, no, these are just cowboys and they're taking a camera and they're making a movie out of heart. And I was thinking about the entrance of White Lightning when his uh, sister comes in to break the news to him, and that gets me so well. And the, uh, I mean, it really dig tugs in my heart. And I'll tell you why: because the sister is so real, like she reminds me of someone's sister. And like Hollywood have would have her all made up, and she'd be glamorous, and she'd come in there, your brother's dying. But and, and you know she'd talk like Scarlet from Gone with Wind because they don't know how Southerners talk in Hollywood. She is a real-life white trash sister that I grew up with and I relate to. And she comes in there telling him, it, it, that gets to me. And it's like, things like that I catch. 
And like I said, it's the Cowboys taking over. And they don't have the big Hollywood budget. They're not out there. Got they can't afford Dustin Hoffman and 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 Jack Nicholson, and they don't got the trailers for them and everything like that. And and they don't have the big name stuntmen for Bullet or Dirty Harry. These are cowboys making a film with a small budget and still telling a pretty decent story. And I think that's what I admire about it. I think that's the reason why Quentin Tarantino loves it. And I think it will become a cult classic. I think as you get older, you'll appreciate things like this. I think young people might not because they weren't like around in that generation. Like, you know, I used to say when I went to engineering school, recording engineering school, and I told kids, I said, do you not realize how controversial rock music was when I was a kid? People don't remember that if you got up in the band, marching band, you played a rock song, that parents would freak out in the South or the Midwest. They'd be like, you know, like you'd be playing Schools Out for Summer in the marching band, right? What's an Alice Cooper song? How dare they? Nowadays, you can go at the Kentucky ball games and you got... I mean, you that was rock and roll. And it's like, those days, that's what I think about this film. I think a lot of the appreciation, like I said, when you're older, you kind of do reminisce those days, you know. I, I miss getting in a pickup truck and going cruising at the Dairy Queen and, and, and talking to ladies and that kind of thing. You don't, pe- kids, I don't think nowadays really understand that. And that's what I like, kind of like about this film. It's a, it's a cowboy's doing something. And then the stunts are real and... And the thing is about, like I said, this is the last stunts where Hollywood is going to go magical on us because cars become magical after this. You know, like they can do 30,000 feet jumps and still go. That's not feasible, people. (laughs) Like I said, when this car jumped, what happened? It broke its back axle and they explained that. We got to go to the shop and fix the back axle. Then Hollywood's like, you know, eh, don't, the people are stupid. They just want to eat a bunch of popcorn. So when a car jumps, he still can move. <laughs> you know, so like I said, Hollywood becomes magical after this film. And like I said, um, like I said, we get into the next one, which I think I like the relationship better between Jerry Reed and Burt Reynolds. But it's a sequel that nobody really wanted to make. It's a paycheck. But I give them props to trying to make you know, a decent story. So that's where my appreciation is. It's like right now, if you gave me $20,000, I'd make you a decent film. Am I going to make a Star Wars Force Awakens? No. Can I make something like Gator White Lightning? Yeah, I would. And that's the that's the difference between like cowboy and gorilla filmmaking versus say like your popcorn smoking and a bandit, and which is probably... Uh, and the thing is that they had so much access when you get to smoking bands, like, because they were like, how are we going to play this fish out of water thing? Well, let's go get Sally Fields. And the first thing out of their mouths was, well, Sally Fields isn't sexy. And Bert goes like, you don't think Sally Fields is not as sexy? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> of course, Bert was in love with Sally, as we know the story. And of course, Sally was the only one that broke his heart. And this is a true story. And, you know, of course, what happens, he gets a younger woman and she takes all his money. But it's 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 an incredible story. And it's like I think it's a it's like if you watch a basketball team grow in the first season, they're 
you got freshmen, you're playing around, and then you get to juniors, and then they get better and better and better. And I think that's what I feel about this film. Like, they learn the mistakes they make. And I, I don't praise Smoking Bandit for a good film. I praise Smoking Bandit is that they make tons of money off of people because by that time, they learned what the audience wanted. And so that's how I feel about it. All right. Does that make any sense? Kinda, <laughs> yes. I, I'm trying to process everything yeah. you said, like make mental notes. Right. And there, there's one thing that you said yeah. and a lot of people around me have been right. saying, and I, I want to make a correction because there's a lot of people that might not know this. And I don't right. know if you know this or not, but when naturally when people think of Hollywood, Right. They think of movies. Yeah. And that is something I wanted to just clear out right then and there is Hollywood isn't what it used to be. Back in the, you go, yeah. if you know your film history, you go back to the 19, 1910s, 1920s. Every film that came out was pretty much Hollywood film because in California, there was a 30 mile radius where they made films in Hollywood. And so every that was what Hollywood right. was. But then you get you jump to the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, when film becomes getting really, really popular. People are finding new ways to tell stories. And then people are making films in Florida, in different states, in different countries. It's no longer a Hollywood film. Right. And I just want to say that because so many people think a high-budget film is a Hollywood film, but that's not necessarily the case. Well, you got to go back to when we talk about filmmaking. There's a difference between filmmaking and distributing. And right. first of all, let's understand why did Hollywood become a monopoly? And I'll explain two reasons. Number one, World War One, And then number two, the weather. Because the whole thing was uh, Hollywood is can be a pure 70 degrees at night 100% of the time, even during the winter time. And so what happens is you can film all the time. But the early days was with the fight between New York and Hollywood. And of course, Ohio is where, you know, the movie industry started because you had Thomas Edison, right? So... Thomas Edison started his um, Black Maria studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Right. But I'm trying to say is around that area, because Ohio is the audio capital of the world. So you're talking about, like you said, what ended up happening was World War I came about. Germany was already started being the film person Barrett Paris was. But World War I happens and destroys the British and the uh, German and the, of course, the French, you know, intervention in Hollywood. I mean, not in Hollywood, but in movies. So Hollywood between New York or New Jersey, Ohio and Hollywood was the problem was the weather. Hollywood was the place and Los Angeles was the place where you can have film all the time. You got Arizona, you got Nevada right across the street. So basically... You can make cowboy movies all the time without no problems. So they decided early on, all right, we got to have distribution. 
So they chose New York as a distributing capital. And when I say Hollywood, you know, filmmaker, I'm more or less focusing on the distributing. Now, the distributing is usually, like I said, New York. And, and sometimes they do 42nd Street type films from New York, right? So what we're trying to say is the distributing part of American distributing. That's what, whether Smoking Bandit made in Georgia and Deliverance was made in Georgia or all these places in Georgia, which is a great place to make movies, by the way. Right now, Atlanta is getting the staple on these. The distributing comes from America. So that's what you're fighting for. Now, in the future, now we're between, like I said, we were watching a Jackie Chan movie that had a Japanese, Chinese, and an American distributing coming together. So that means all three of them are profiting, but at one time, America had that soul on the distribution. The other distribution that we really had was like Rome was the closest thing we had. That's the reason why we get Dino Laurentes. And the problem is, is like they, they have an issues with not handling their money because they don't understand Americans. And the IRS is probably the most organized. It's the only country. The IRS is the, is the only... <laughs> government organization that keeps Hollywood honest <laughs> and it's as corrupt as Hollywood is and there's no IRS in Italy and France or Germany or these places like that and uh, it's like but one thing about our IRS system is like even if you make films overseas they're still going to tax you and it's like they don't give a care. And it's so when you're dealing with the distribution, when I'm in Hollywood, I'm, I'm talking more of the distribution, like uh, you get in Fox or Paramount or Universal. That's the reason why one thing I don't know how I feel. It's like when they decided that, you know, distribution companies and, uh, you know, theaters could not be owned by the same company, it hurt the smaller industries because, uh, like I said, if you own, say, 150 drive-in theaters, right, mm -hmm. which is enough money to make your own film, well, that hurt that industry because there were drive-in theater owners that were just going out making films in the 60s and the 70s just to show at their drive-ins. And my personal opinion, I think that should be right because that's very independent. But the point is, when you get to owning 5,000 theaters, that means you get to choose what that theater plays. So that, in the 60s, was destroyed. But like I said, with the Hollywood industry and the distribution, when you like, you're talking about Smokey and Bandit, I'm talking about a major distributing company. When we're talking about Gator, we're talking about spending a night in a hotel with the can. And praying and hoping that the theaters are going to show it, or if you got to, t or you get to tie in with the mafia who in Florida who's saying if you don't show the th movie, we're going to burn your theater down. <laughs> I'm talking about that kind of distributing. That's independent, independent filmmaker versus, like I said, Exorcist. Really, to me, I think that's the one that killed independent films because it said we're going to sign out to all these theaters. And you're going to play The Exorcist. Now, people love The Exorcist, and I, I, I think it's one. It's a good filmmaking, and the heart is there. Everything's there to make Exorcist a good film. But the what problem what happened was, if I wanted to show Gator, 
at that theater, they had already signed up to show Exorcist, and there's nothing they can do about it because they get sued. So this is the last of that cowboy filmmaking. This is this is this is the ending of a closure. It's an era that's going that's leaving because, like I said, now you know I got to show Exorcist. Why? Or I get sued. We want to see Gator. Can't see Gator. Got to watch Exorcist. You know, it's like, and then the multiplexes come out, kind of solve that issue. So, you know, as a capitalism, you're going to have to adapt. So let's make multiple theaters one thing, which is a lot of people think is a good thing. But in this case, it's probably a good thing because that way you can show Gator and you can show Exorcist and everybody's happy versus like when I, the single theaters, man, that's got to suck because you can't choose what you want to show. But, you know, that's another story another time. But I'm just kind of give you an idea of what's going on. You know, uh, I lived the closest multiplex for me when I was a kid was an um, I think it was about an hour away. So I had a choice between a drive in theater, which, you know, only couples go to when you're a kid. You don't want to go to that one <laughs> or you can go down and walk the other one where they're going to show the major blockbuster films of that era. Just just food for thought, what you're dealing with. And, you know. <laughs> does that make sense? Or? It, it does make sense. And I, I'm trying to think of low-budget 70s films. Right. And I'm not really getting a lot in my head. I'm yeah. trying really hard. You don't really hear a lot about yeah, the well, low budget. Yeah, exactly. Films. There's there there's very few out there. I think uh, one that a lot of people might end up if you want to go independent is Wes Craven's Wes Craven's uh, Last House on the Left. Um, and I, in my personal opinion, I think they went too far. I mean, uh, you know, it is uh, what it is. But again, it's one of those films where you're not. It's not assigned to theaters. You're you're going to have to go to a single theater. It's not going to get played all over the United States. It's no Exorcist. It's no Jaws. So, you know, you're kind of stuck. Cannibal Women that, uh, what's his name, did uh, the the, Ghostbusters director, you know. (laughs) You know, those films like that. Right. (laughs) The... Did I say no? I'm sorry, not Ghostbusters, but American Werewolf in London director. I'm sorry, um, but anyways, you know, I, I'm just saying that's 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 the toughest thing when you get to the. I mean, and I'll be honest, when it comes to distributing, I sit here and talk about filmmaking, and I understand the business of filmmaking. I understand the business of um, certain things, but when it comes to distributing, is so the laws are so weird that i don't even understand it you know um you know i i can point to i try to look at u.s codes and trying to i mean distributing is such that's the reason why the internet has killed it i mean look at it i mean we just pop up a thing on youtube and there it is uh and i'm so glad that hollywood is caught on or the major films have caught on and realize that youtube is a a legitimate uh, medium because 
you know, now we can watch White Lightning and Gator for free with ads or whatever, all these films that are out there. But, uh, you know, it it just depends. I mean, like, another uh, film, too, I would, I would throw at you is uh, what about, uh, and it's an action film, and it was released on the same day, which is uh, Billy Jack. Um, that film. I have not seen Billy Jack. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that's an action film that was the independent and it was designed to be shown on the same day, which was very unheard of. But that was probably the first one. I mean, because before then, you know, like I said, I don't know how many cans they produced. You know, like if you did an independent film, like I said, Herschel Gordon Lewis traveled with his films. <laughs> He'd go to the theaters. I can can you imagine that? I got a new film, and you'd literally have to go and rent a hotel and just stay away. Sure. <laughs> like the uh, Billy Jack film was, of okay. course, was released on the same day, and that was, you know, quite unheard of. And like I said, Herschel Gordon Lewis used to travel to the theaters with the film can, and then of course stay in a hotel and uh, watch the res you know the results come in. You know that's you know that's something that's totally unheard of. Uh, you know, I knew guys in the eighties. Now, when you got into the Chuck Norris films when they first started out, uh, that movie company, I think uh, it, it's kind of prior before Trimark. They were a um, tax shelter, meaning that they were a fake movie company. So. People like the Hollywood people would throw their money to them and say that we were making this film and we lost so that the IRS wouldn't, you know, charge us all that many taxes. And so people said, we've got all this money. Why don't we just make a real film? So they got out of Chuck Norris, paid him $100,000, made a real film. And they would literally, like I said, go to theaters, give them the film. They would buy the latest night advertisement, which was really cheap, like one in the morning. But usually guys who didn't go, you know, who would stay up late because of insomnia or whatever, would watch those theatrical trailers and then they'd go to see that Chuck Norris film. And it really worked for them. And that was the last time I've heard about it. You know, like then, of course, you, you had independent porn films as well was the same way. And a lot of those were tied into the mafia. Um you know, there's a lot of great books you could write about it. I mean, the, about the industry itself. Um you know, and of course, I, I'm, I, here's one thing about us is like being where I'm at, you know, I can talk about the mafia all I want to because they don't <laughs> care about me. I'm out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and I was, you know, up in Chicago and New York where I got to watch what I say about Danny the Fish Bones would go up to a theater down in Augustine. He said, you got to pay that film or we're going to burn it down. <laughs> There's a great documentary I would uh, check out. Is It's on Deep Throat by Ron Howard. You need to check out. It talks a lot about this and why, you know, why things are the way they are. And I don't know, you know, when it gets down to people are going to watch what they're going to watch, you know. Uh, I think one thing, though, you got to be patient. That's that's a problem what we're having in this country is we've, it's called, a guy came up with a great philosophy. I used to set up, my a recording studio at the flea market 
And uh, he he worked across from me at the flea market, and he'd come up to me and say, and I call it instant gratification is what people want. He said, because we live in a microwave generation. And to understand that, I understand the concepts. Like I bought, I bought chicken wings last night at Kroger's. You can pop in the microwave. It takes three minutes now. Or I could put them in my oven. They'll be crispier and taste better. But I have to warm up my oven, and it takes probably about 15 minutes to get a decent crispy chicken wing. But the thing is, because we live in a microwave generation, we want everything now. And therefore, you get these... Uh, um, headache, epilepsy-inducing CGI stuff that we get now because everybody wants everything now. They don't want to wait and let things grow. or and Because that's the whole thing. You really do need to wait because you're going to get older. you know. Uh, and if you're going to get older, just make sure you have a retirement. And the retirement is maybe that film you made at 20 years old maybe become a hit when you're 40. If that's the case, then good. And the problem is now is like every I want everything now I gotta have it now I gotta we gotta see we gotta see it now so we don't put we don't go back and look at the Avengers Endgame and try to clean up the crappy special effects <laughs> that we put in there or we don't try to fill up the plot holes that we created with the film because <laughs> we gotta get right. this film out now and it's like that's one film that if they held back for an entire year. It might become a classic. Now people are looking at it a year later going, gee, that was some bad sex. <laughs> I shouldn't have had sex with that. But they got my money, so, you know, I'm, I'm the idiot. <laughs> but anyway, you, you know what I'm trying to say is, you know, it's just like going to any film. Does it stand the test of time? You know, is it... Right. Is Raiders of Lost Ark still good? Yep. Right. It stands the test of time. Um, certain things I look back, I hate saying, it's like, why did I think I was going? Well, because I was 12 years old and I saw flashing lights and I thought that was cool, you know? You know? And then, or if you find out that the, what the director's intention was, and then you really, <laughs> oh, you meant to insult people. How rock and roll is that? That's pretty cool. That's pretty punk rock. But... Going back to the film White Lightning, I understand that in the 1970s, we didn't have a computer like what we have now. We Technology wasn't what what it was like now until the 90s. And so, you know, it it was a lot more difficult to edit. I I get that. And I respect the people that took the time to edit it. But on the same flip of that same coin, if you're going to spend two, three times as long on editing something, then in my mind, I expect it to be two times better. Yeah, I understand. I get that. Yeah, movies now today are editing. They're editing in such a fast way that honestly, I don't, I feel like I care more about how films edited before technology than I do with technology because and it took a lot longer and it's hard for me to have respect for the people that made white lightning when there's so many mistakes and it's not just because it was a low budget film the film was rushed the lots and lots of sloppiness a lot of sloppy dialogue a lot of sloppy characters there are some good characters in it but 
it's just surface characters. There's no death of anybody. You know, we learn about Donnie, and he gets killed in the very beginning. I'm not spoiling anything. You can watch the trailer if you haven't seen it. See that he does. And we we don't know anything about him. We don't care anything about him. And why would you make a vengeance story if you don't care about the person? Like I, I get that the character wasn't close, but there's just so many mistakes in that film that all right. Well tell me tell me about Danny. What what does it tell about Donnie? I mean, we learn towards the end of the film about No, I mean I'm serious bit... I'm serious here. You watch the film, right? Tell me about Donnie. Right, tell, right, me, right. tell his story. So towards the end of the film we learned about Donnie and how he was killed by protesting. Right. But I mean that that's still I mean, now like I said, now let's go back when that meant something. Because here you're looking at two different views. You got Burt Reynolds. Now, should he be on the side of the protesters? Maybe we disagree with them. Maybe we hate them because of the fact that they... But should they be killed for that? No. Are you, are you feeling me? I'm, I disagree okay. with a lot with BLM. I disagree with a lot with Antifa. I disagree with a lot of, with the white supremacists and Nazis. I disagree with these communists. I disagree with a lot of people. But my question is, don't they have a right to be heard just the same? They do. I, I believe that. Right. And that's the point is what I'm trying to say is, if you go back in those times when that meant something, it's like, you know, I, I mentioned a story about my dad coming home from Vietnam and he saw these guys coming at him. He was going into a very liberal Washington state and he thought he was getting beat up by hippies. They turned out to be Marines that were thanking him for his for bombing the places they were fighting. Now, here's the thing is about it. That's where the emotional response is. Of course, you don't get it because you and I did not live in that time. But you just explained why I care about Donnie. And here's the whole thing, too, is Bert's confused. Bert lived his life, Gator, I'm sorry, Gator McCluskey, lives his life for number one. He don't care about he doesn't care about politics. He cares about money, girls, a thing that most men who don't have a real purpose in life care about. So what ends up happening to them? They go to jail because they don't have a purpose in their life. But here's a kid who's wanting to make something out of himself, and he dives for it. And like I said, that scene when sister comes out there and she's a real life white trash sister. That's all I need right there. Because she's crying and she's looking at this guy, Gator McCluskey, who just threw his life away, basically, because he's pursuing money and women, which are not deep and purposeful. And here's Donnie, who's wanting to change the world, whether he's right and wrong, who cares? The point is... He's got good intentions, and he dies for it. Wouldn't that tick you off? Yeah. Yeah, maybe I understand. Like I said, Hollywood makes two-hour films, and they drag out the emotion more. But 
as a person who's watched a million films, I get tired of that two hours of dragging out the emotion. I like all I need. And like I said, now, will you watch the film again? You'll probably catch that. That first time, you probably, or two times, you're probably not going to catch that. But that third or fourth time, you finally catch that and realize, I see the connection. Yeah, I want to kill that sheriff, too. Because, I mean, I, I think of my own brother. My own brother. Well, my brother, you know, I disagree with my brother. My brothers and I fight all the time. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a wrestling thing, you know. It's like, you know, he's going on. And we've got a power driver. <laughs> you know, he's like, Mom, just take it outside. If you're going to play WF, you're going to have to play outside. But, you know, I love my brother, even though I beat him up. Because he's my baby brother. And so you got, you know, this guy, like I said, he, he still loves his brother no matter what. Even though, because like I said, I feel like with Gator, like, you know, he would look at Donnie if Donnie stayed alive and say, but you were going to be the one who's going to be the successful one. You're going to be the one that could be the doctor or the lawyer or somebody's going to make a difference. You know, there's no hope for me. It's too late for me. And I think one thing, too, he's kind of getting his soul back through all this. Let's talk about Bo Svensson. Talk about Bo? Bo Svensson, his character. He is the guy that uh, is uh, Gators, you know, meets him to try to infiltrate the, uh, you know, the big moonshiners. Um, there's a scene where, uh, you know, and... And something too, folks. Gator is not a hero. He's an anti-hero. And uh, so, like I said, one thing they kind of wanted, like I said, the James Bond of the South is kind of probably how they pitched this. And, of course, like uh, Live and Let Die is a film which is basically James Bond is mixed with black exploitation. Man with Golden Gun is more karate exploitation and kung fu exploitation mixed with... Uh, James Bond. So the women issues here, and Bo Svensson right. tells him he don't mess with the girl, right? And what does okay? So yeah, we're talking about Gator now. I no no no. This okay. is White Lightning. Gator's his <laughs> oh, name. Oh, White Lightning. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I think of J Sean Connery as James Bond. You know he's not, but Gator McCluskey is our character. So Bo Svensson. Says and I, I gotta elaborate on this because I love this scene. And a lot of people who don't understand this because you know, like I said, you know, guys, our number one motivation are women. I mean, uh, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, it's the truth. And uh, you know, somewhere around the world there's money, but we know the reason why we want money and power is because we want women. <laughs> but anyway, let's be honest. All right, let's be honest. So Bo says to him he doesn't want him you know messing with that girl right and what does he say you got a ring on that and in the boat i have to interrupt this episode to tell you something i've been dying to share with you have you heard of the company habits 365 you haven't <laughs> do you live in the cave <laughs> i support habits 365 because you get great quality clothes and by you giving money to them, you're helping spread positivity every day of every year. What's better than that? I'll tell you what's better than that. If you buy something from them and you, by clicking on the link below, going to their website, use promo code 
FAITHFUL FILM FANATIC in all caps, and I'll save you some money too. So really, it's a win-win. What are you waiting for? Let's get back to the episode. Reply, he says, what does that got to do with it? He said, that's what I thought. Basically, he has not committed to this girl, right? And of course, like he said, Gator indulges his what he is <laughs> with the young lady. Right. Right. And Bo says, I like that relationship. And to understand that, what do you think? What's your interpretation <clears throat> when he's telling Bo if basically, you know, do you have a ring on that? Basically, have you committed to this girl? What What's your interpretation on that uh, relationship? What's your feelings about that as a young man nowadays? About uh, marriage in general or just marriage of this character in the movie? What, what, these two characters between Bo and Bert. Okay, Gators McCluskey and got Bo's character, Bo Spence's character, which is, uh, again, we see them... You know, their characters, let's obviously, their relationship is not as strong building as, say, in Gator with between Jerry Reed and, of course, Burt Reynolds. But that scene, to me, kind of sums up, you know... A lot of way... Gator and both things. Right. Like, marriage today, a lot of times, is rushed and people aren't committed because... There, I feel like the media and TV paints marriage to be one thing, but mm-hmm. it actually takes a lot of work, and people don't want to do the work for it. But I mean, in this film, what's Gator saying to Bo when Ga- when he explains that's what I thought? Because he's he tells Bo, "Do you have a ring on that?" Basically, what is what is what what what's going on there? What's 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 being implied there? What's he trying to say to Bo? That he's not a good enough person because he doesn't, he's not going to commit to one person. Exactly. Really care about her. Right. And I thought, I think that's a beautiful scene because, like, granted, you know, maybe Gator did what he did to push Bo to grow up a little bit and get out of this business because now he's gotten to the point where he realizes that this is not the life he really wants. You know, like I said, he's trying to get his soul back by uh, through revenge. And, of course, you know, like the old saying is if you, uh, you know, if you're going to do something by revenge, dig two graves because two men die. Um, But this is not that kind of thing. I think this is more about justice more than anything when I think about the film. So you think it's more about justice and not as much of vengeance? Yes, because... If he was revenge, I think he would, you know, I think that's the reason why there shouldn't be a sequel. Because if it was just a straight film, it leaves your interpretation out there like Dirty Harry. I love Dirty Harry films, don't get me wrong, but that ending of Dirty Harry sums up the ending. And it should have ended there. But because it comes so popular, people want a sequel. And same thing with this, it became so popular, they want a sequel. That would dictate both of those films as revenge films, basically. But because you get right. sequels, now they're more or less well justified deaths that they were seeking justice. So what ends up happening is you, the audience, can't take home your own interpretation of the movie. 
that's what hurt. That's what sequels how sequels can hurt a film. And and like I said, the Dirty Harry films, some of them are really good. I love the second one. And like I said, I like um, Gator Bear and the White, White Lightning only because of the storytelling. Like I said, it's not consistent with White Lightning. We know this. And a lot of it is because Burt Reynolds is an actor and he wanted to have a better story. Because White Lightning, like I said, is more action. Like I said, it was pitched like a James Bond of the South. You know, James Bond for hillbillies kind of thing. And then you get the second one, which is more or less a cash grab. And it's like, well, Burt's like wanting better writing. And they do. They establish a character a little bit more sensitivity that he did not have in White Lightning. Right, right. But I, I did appreciate the fact that the film Gator yeah. had more in-depth of yeah. the character, whereas in White Lightning, it was just a surface level. Mm-hmm. Which characters of the two films, let me ask you this, Gator or White Lightning, both of them, let's combine them together as one. Is besides Gator McCluskey, is there any characters in the two films that really stick out besides Gator McCluskey? I mean, Jerry Reed's character, yeah, I felt like was bad more in exactly. Death. Than Ned Ned Beatty's character is definitely, and and I I've said this before. Ned Beatty was wasted in the first one. Not 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 near as good. I watched Deliverance, and Ned Beatty was a lot better actor than I expected him to be. If you take one weakness out of the the film series, is the wasting of a good actor. They could have written something a little bit better for Ned Beatty. Like I said, we know about the editing. The editing is bad. I'm not making excuses for the editing. But the Ned Beatty's character, they wasted a good actor. And it's sad when a film does that. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, not taking anything, like I said, both Fenson or Burt Reynolds and all these other wonderful characters that are, are actors or actresses that are in the film. But Ned Beatty is one like, you really, what you would do, like I said, if I was in charge and someone said, well, you got Ned Beatty for this film. That's where the sign would said, let me call a writer and let me find someone who can write dialogue for Ned Beatty. I'd be on the phone. It's like, hey, um, so-and-so, uh, Richard Matheson, the novel, <laughs> you just wrote Duel. For Steven Spielberg, okay, for a TV movie, can you write some dialogue for for uh, Ned Beatty and pay him whatever Richard Matheson would want, and then have the dialogue for Ned Beatty? I'm just using Richard Matheson. Matheson is not really a dialogue person, but let's. I'm just using him as an example. Right. But I would say, hey, let's write some dialogue for Ned Beatty that we could use for this film, and this film would have been a lot better in that category. And like I said, Bama, like I said, the writing is a little bit better. And then you have an actor like Jerry Reed, who's not as good actor. You're like, think, what if you had a better actor for Jerry Reed's part? 
think about how better that film would have been for Bama's character because it's not Bama himself. It's more of that dialogue that he has. And there's so many better actors than Jerry Reed that could have taken that dialogue to the next... Heck, if you, can you imagine Jack Nicholson doing Jerry Reed's character? Or something like this, you know, saying his lines... If, which, we, <laughs> if we had someone like Jack Nicholson... Yeah, I feel like Bama would have been a lot more scary character. Oh, definitely. Jerry oh. Reed portrays Bama, who's supposed to be a scary character, as like this friend character. And he, so he, I do feel like Jerry Reed's performance of yeah. Bama, Bama, I can't even remember her name. Bama. Is, Bama is not that yeah. the way it should be. Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper's another good actor. Uh, somebody like that. Because, like I said, Jerry's just not as good as an actor. But, like I said, they did do pretty good on that dialogue. And, um, and like I said, you know, when it comes to directing, you're, you take your buddies with you. And, of course, you get Smokey Band in the future. But, anyways, regarding that, I just kind of want to get that out there that that's, that's something, like I said, I like gator a lot better because it's more of a popcorn flick that's not too popcorn and um it's better editing obviously uh it's up there but like you said it, it does hurt when you you're not consistent and that just creates a it creates problems there when you don't have consistency you know it's like I, it really does let me ask you something White Lightning, Gator, don't you feel like both films, like even though we agree that Gator is a better film, both films do have a lot of wasted screen time. Like just filled in, stuff happens to fill in time yeah. that they shouldn't have had and could have done something better with the story. Yeah, well, my only problem with that is watching a three-hour Christopher Nolan Batman film, no, I, I can't complain. I really can't because there was so much wasted time in the last Batman film that... So I look at Gator is like... You know, like, Batman is like that job that you, you know, three hours of that job. Like, because it, it takes an hour to get something going, number one. <laughs> And then, right, and right. then you're sitting there, it's and the, White Lightning's what nine ninety minutes, and 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 Gators ninety minutes. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, I cannot agree with that because these films are easy. They go down easy to me. I I just I don't right, sit there right. and bore myself. I'm not going to sit there like thirty minutes with Scarlett Johansson and Captain America talking about nothing. No. Don't even go there. Or the ball-headed woman with the Incredible Hulk trying to fill a plot hole that they can't fill a plot hole in. No, don't even go there. These films, their 90 minutes are easy. <laughs> it's easy. I watching. wasn't going to bring in <laughs> but Marvel Yeah, that's the right about Marvel. Right. That's but, the reason why it's easy to digest these films. Because we're we're in living an age where everything is so flipping epic. Like, you can't even make a Gumby film without being epic. I have to listen to Gumby talking about how that his wife died, and that's the reason why he's having problems. 
back in my day, we just got up there, told a story, and we went back to bed. <laughs> I didn't need to know about Gumby's history. I just know he's a little bit rubber thing and we're supposed to maybe laugh at, you know? <laughs> no, no, these but, films to me are easy. They're easy. See, I tell you though, Christopher Nolan, yeah. his directing style, right. I do think makes him a lot better of a director yeah. than what we get from Burt Reynolds or the person that directed White Lightning, whose name I forgot. How but, Needham did the uh, Smoking Bandit. So, but I don't know who did that. I know How Needham was the second unit director, but Burt Reynolds directed Gator. So you're looking at like a Clint Eastwood type film with Gator. But the thing about the Dark Knight trilogy, if we're going to like talk about the Batman movies. Well, the, no, even, not the Batman movies. The third one's the only one. And here's the only problem is. You're talking about the Dark Knight Rises? The third one. The one where it takes an hour to get going. That, here's okay. here's what the issue, here's what the problem. And, and Christopher Nolan, like you said, is a good Knight. director. But Christopher Nolan needed I'm so glad he got out of it. And I felt like he needed to get out of it because he was struggling. Because like the first one, it was about trying to make Batman realistic. The second one was more comic booky, which I like. The third one was like, I don't give a care. I'm not going to please everybody. Because you're either going to tick off the critics or you're going to tick off the fanboys. So I feel like the third one was like, here you go. I'm done. Because I think his original intentions was to make a two-part film, which he should have done. And did what he wanted to do but because you're dealing with this business you're artistic and it feels more like a job that's what the third one is the third one's a job the second one is like i'm i want to do i want to have a lot of fun and it is the it is so much fun and i sum up the second one uh where the the kid is shooting the gun and the car explodes that defines the Joker, Heath Ledger, and that defines uh, the that film. Right. right. But when you get in a third one, it was like a man has given up. Like Christopher Nolan's soul was taken away, and he's like, I don't care anymore. Just get it done. Because I felt like he had a vision. He wasn't able to do what he wanted on the third one. And when I compare that, and again, the only reason why I'm using that analogy is because, like I said, we made films for 90 minutes and we're able to get as much out there as a three-hour film. I mean, see, I yeah, I I disagree with that. Yeah, like Dark Knight's a two and a half hour movie, and I feel like you care about Bruce Wayne a, a lot more, even if you hadn't watched the cartoon movies. Yeah. Because you learn more about him. Well, that's what I said. The second what? one is a perfect one. The second one is perfect. But, like, when you get in a third one, it just... I see a man who's crushed. I see a guy who just wants to get out of it. Because it's it's long. It's boring. It is... Uh, it's got a plot hole. And for three hours, you don't shouldn't have a plot hole. If you're going to make this thing to try to explain everything, then explain everything. But... It just like I think he had a vision of what he wanted, and again, he was torn between fanboys and critics. The second one, the fanboys love. The first one, the critics love. So then you get the third one. He's just like, whatever. I'm not gonna please everybody. So what does it matter? And and like I said, when you're watching a three-hour film, 
versus a 90-minute 70s popcorn film. <laughs> I'll take the 70s 90-minute popcorn film because I know it's going to eventually end. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, 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 that's the thing. I can't say, I, I think they did as much dialogue as is needed. And every little dialogue does mean something. And you just got to go watch it again to figure out what that dialogue, you got to go back and look at the politics of that era. You got to go back and look at what's going on. I mean, a lot of these things we're not experiencing now. I mean, we we're not experiencing the thing of the Cold War anymore. So these eighty films now have to be explained. We're not experiencing Black Panthers. We're not experiencing all those things or anti-Vietnam protests or pro-Vietnam protests, whatever. We're not experiencing those those things anymore. Uh, nowadays, it's like this PC culture where you got a bunch of people, keyboard warriors who just get on there and just threaten people. It's like, I'm not scared of a keyboard warrior. I'm scared of someone coming to my house and threatening me with a, a gun or burning my house down or rioting. That's stuff I understand, but you're going to cancel me on Instagram? I don't give a care. <laughs> oh, no, I got canceled on Instagram for pr promoting the war. <laughs> you know, These guys, if you were for, against the war... They probably burned your house down. If you were against for the war in certain cities, they burned your house down. So it was it was a very divided nation at that time, and we're getting unfortunately we're getting like that now. Uh, I just saw a woman going to McDonald's, and she they pulled a gun on her. The McDonald's worker pulled the gun on her for not wearing a mask. And according to her side, she came in to ask her if they had extra masks. The McDonald's employee says, no, we don't have extra masks. I told you we don't have extra masks. And then pulls a gun on the woman. <laughs> that's crazy. That but, is terrible. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's So we're getting back into that. And I think films like Gator and White Lightning are going to happen again. Because uh, people are going, you know, we're getting to the point where we're going back to violence. Because here's the whole thing. If you look at the history... You'll look at the last thing before people go into violence is uh, mocking. Like if you look at the Revolutionary War, when Ben Franklin and John Adams and all these people were using satire to go against the Church of England, not the Church of England, but the English people or the English state at the time, uh, or the king at the time, then it led us to war. And that's kind of where we're at right now. And, you know, it's scary times, but... Uh, you know, I think one thing is uh, filmmaking can help maybe uh, bowl that down a little bit, you know, kind of kind of ease that pressure a little bit because, you know, it's like I watched um, the um, Korean film and everybody wanted to politicize that. And the guy was just thankful he got an award. And you're sitting there. It doesn't have anything to do with politics. It's, he's just trying to tell a scary story. That was just very artistic, and he did a good job. And all he wanted to do, he was so gratified to get, he was so grateful to get an award. Uh, I'm talking about the movie Parasite. It's a very good movie, but everybody wanted to politicize this movie, and all he wanted to do was tell a story. And this is where we're at right now. We're trying to get people on board to our ideology. He didn't do that. He didn't fall into that. He said, I'm just thankful to be here, and I'm glad you like my story. 
And it's a scary story, but it's told so good because like, and I'll tell you right now, like the South Koreans, when it comes to uh, uh, telling scary stories, they can do it. I mean, there's a great South Korean horror films out there that are really good. But back to what I'm trying to say. No, I don't think the film has any leg. <laughs> it's, it's, it's popcorn. It's easy going. I mean, it's easy digestible. I mean, compared to modern films, no. I mean, I get. I guess I'm burned out on these three-hour epics, you know. Give me a 90-minute heck between. And I think another thing, too, is I like Burt Reynolds so much. I can hear him talk. You know, he could talk all day to me. I think he's very charismatic. I know it'll take a little while to kind of get to know the guy, but when you get to liking him and respecting him, I think you'll find that he's one of those people you could be in the same room with and just hear him talk and he can carry a film and apparently at that time especially he had large women falling as you know he posed for playgirl and all that kind of thing so he did have that sex appeal with women uh, but i think men admire him because he's just a regular down-to-earth guy he wasn't a pretty boy you know he'd go to the bars with the stunt men and and uh, he'd have a laugh at himself with Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson loved him and having him on the show. And Johnny Carson, he owes a lot to Johnny to give him a chance to be on the Tonight Show in an era when people like him were not big enough to be on the Tonight Show. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does make sense, but... yeah. But I, I my my yeah. overall stand for the film does not really change, but maybe after I go watch it, rewatch it, yeah. maybe my opinion might change a little bit. But right. it's like with me with Star Trek the movie. When I first it came out, I hated it, and like now I'm 105, I kind of like it. I get a little bit more respect for it. But when it first came out, when I was a kid, it wasn't Star Wars. So I was like, I hate this. And I stayed away from it. But now I'm an adult. And I'm like, I and I respect Bill Shatner more than I ever have in my life. And people make fun of his acting. But yeah, and, and you'll find that as you, you get older, like, you know, certain films. Like I said, certain films do not stand the test of time. And I think of the problem is with this film is, like I said, if I was in film school, and I would be, I would have to set up all this stuff for everybody. And then think, I think a lot of people would get it after they realize what era and what time it is. And like you were talking about the other day, you were saying that I can't see myself running moonshine because it's against the law and it's not worth it to risk. And that's people like a lot of people. But then there are people that, uh, there's a song some people got to learn the hard way. Uh, and again, and then there's people that do it for the principle of the thing like oh wait a minute I, that's something i believe should be it's like when i was a kid there's certain words i would not say but because of the pc culture saying you can't say these words now i'm saying the words because even though i don't believe that you should say the words but it's because of the fact i believe in freedom of speech i think it becomes more of a principle thing and it's like running moonshine is like if you believe that alcohol is legal and you believe that taxing the alcohol is legal or or the maybe it's unjust or whatever and you're doing it for the principal thing i don't know you know you have to uh decide uh what, what what's the best thing to do because you definitely don't want a strong 
forceful government telling you what drugs you can take. Nobody wants that. So do you run moonshine and don't drink it just because of the principle of the thing? I mean, what's the choice? I mean, what would you do? I mean, like, if you felt like your stance was like you don't want a strong central government enforcing you, like the alcohol, tobacco, firearms, telling you that you can't do certain drugs, do you do it out of principle or maybe do it for money? Which... Where where would you be on that issue? What what would you do? For me, I would do it for principle. I, it's hard for me to imagine with a um, moonshine because I can't picture yeah. moonshine. I can't even because that's not where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so this might get a lot of controversial, a lot of hate, but I'm going to use something that's going on as an example that, that I can relate to. Yeah. So vaccines, for an example, I know people are going to be, uh, well, I, I refuse to get the vaccine out of principle. Right. And no matter what happens, I'm sticking to that principle. Right. Well, I mean, the best way you and I, what we can relate to is marijuana. Right. At one time. And like I said, you know, I don't use marijuana because I, I, I don't care. But there's some people that feel they need it and whatever, and that's fine. Now it's legal, right? But at one time, you know, it was illegal, and I knew people who sold it, but I didn't turn them in because I I didn't believe that the government should be regulating marijuana. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't take marijuana, but it don't mean that someone else shouldn't. I think it's ridiculous, especially a drug that just makes you want to eat Doritos and watch uh, White Lightning and Gator. I cannot hate so people you, for that. Are you saying that white lightning and gator are only really good if you're stoned when you're watching it? Or there's a lot of them that are out there. The uh, But I'm just trying to say is if right. someone's in their home and they're watching films and having Doritos and they're smoking a joint, gee whiz, who am I to judge them? You know, that's what makes me it's so not our mad. place to judge. Right. And it's like, but can you imagine someone, and people legally, when I was a kid, now when I was a kid, this is a real thing. I remember a kid being chased. He was chased. And I said, kid, I, he's probably 17 or 18. He was chased upstairs to his own house. And he took the weed and put it in the his uh, bathroom tank. The policeman went into his place without a warrant. And it became a big controversy. And I agree with the kid because it's like, that police officer, oh, you're talking about risking someone's life over, I think the bag might have been 100 $200 at the most. That's not worth it. Jeez Louise. For a hundred, maybe I don't even think it was a hundred dollars. I don't know. I, I think a bag. I think when I got older, a bag was like you could get a bag of weed for like twenty bucks. I mean, I'm talking like a Ziploc bag. That ain't bad at all. But, but I'm saying, can you imagine someone getting killed over twenty dollars a weed? That's crazy, man. That's, and that's what kind of thing like you're talking about with principal, and which with these films kind of address upon. 
Um, and that's what I'm saying. When you got a little kid who's 12 years old, 11 years old, watching this, saying, well, Daddy, I don't understand. Why why they run the moonshine? What's going on? Well, one time, son, they, in certain counties, it was dry. In certain counties, are wet. And they, you know, <laughs> and you have to explain this to your kid. He's like, uh, well, I think that's wrong to hurt them people over alcohol. Well, son, they thought it was wrong, too, you know. Uh, you know, it, okay. that's fully <laughs> only off subject. Yeah, have you ever thought about doing like a, a animation voiceover? Because like your child voice instantly in my head, I kept thinking had these like animation characters. I, I have, <laughs> uh, and and I'll tell you the reason why I don't do voiceover is because the competition is heavy, you guys, and there's so younger people that are so better, and that's the reason why I do what I do because like you know I can do voiceovers for new, the news of bazaar. When we used to do the news of bazaar ten years ago, I've been eight seven years ago. I used to do it in a radio voice, so it was like. Welcome to the news of the bazaar, the place where we discuss whether or not Donald Trump's hair is real. And you'd have to do those voices, and I got tired of doing. That. I said, "Can I just do my regular voice?" This no, none of that more, none of that no more. But yeah, um, I used to. Uh, we had the Motorola radios when I worked for a carpet cleaning company, and I do so many different voices over the radio, and sometimes girls, and I had mainly masculine men working, and it would drive them crazy. Because I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'd be doing these girl voices, and that was something too, which is so it makes people so mad is that I'm able to go from deep to high. Um, you know, when I get into singing, I go mid range, high, low, whatever. But you know, you've got technology to do that because you can just do all kinds of things with technology, you can bring it down really high or really low. <laughs> You can, you can get it really high. You can turn it up. You got your little effects. Turn the reverb. And then you can start talking like this. And then people just like get so mad because I talk like this. And I'm saying, this is my real voice. But, you know. You know just reminds me of one of the chipmunks. Yeah. Well, yeah, and... You know, but I I wanted to do when I was a kid. I wanted to do uh, voices, and uh, but like I said, they, it just back in those days before the internet, you could break into it. Now you can get on Fiverr and do voiceovers. And I, I had a friend of mine I work with. He's on Fiverr and he does uh, voiceovers, and his voice is better than mine. I, um, and his is really good, and he does voiceovers. I can't make money off of it. But yeah, I, I've done. I, I consider it. When I was, if I was younger, it'd be a different generation. You could break yourself into it. But going to cons is so funny. Meeting all those voiceover people, and um, some of them are fun. And uh, I know one guy. He's like at every con, and I got to see him all the time. I, but he's got a line of autographs signing like you wouldn't believe. And he's at every con. I get tired of seeing him. And, he, and um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good business. Like I said, you know, a lot of people like when the older you get as an actor, is uh, that's the reason why they get into it because they don't have to leave their house anymore. <laughs> you can do it via Zoom now. <laughs> right. All right. So um, right. where are we um, at now was, on these films? All right. So real quick. Uh, was there anything else more we wanted to talk about White Lightning and Gator, or did we talk as much as we 
care to about those films. Well, I, I want to say one thing. Um, because um, I just, let's get it out of the way. Because uh, how do you feel about the the treatment of the women in the films? Uh, is that Are they justified or not? No. Okay. In neither films. I actually was... I. That's one reason I have not grown very fond of Burt Reynolds because yeah. I watched Deliverance, I watched Smoking Bandit, watched White Lightning and Gator, and I just from those four movies, I do not. I've seen other Burt Reynolds movies, but it's been so long I don't yeah. remember them. So just by those four movies in the seventies, I don't have any respect for his character or the actor for the way he treats women. I don't like it. I don't think it's right. And, and like in White Lightning, there's like lots of wasted screen time, lots of wasted materials are focused on sex play, mm-hmm. you know? And it's red PG, so I thought it was kind of weird, but, you know, 70s, you had Jaws red PG, so it's whatever. The rating system. Something weird then. Yeah, well, there wasn't but, that many that that are in the PG thirteen or the newest. No. And so, Burt Reynolds, I did not like that, and then I didn't like in the film Gator how they portrayed women. I I feel like th- those movies are very disrespectful to how it goes about treating women. And I found that very annoying. What What did you think about Sally Fields and Smoking and Bandit? How did you feel on that? I felt I felt like Sally Field was an interesting, fun character. I liked her character, but I felt like the way the movie went about introducing you was random. Kind of didn't need to be there. It was, just, and I felt like the whole her whole presence of being there was to have a hot, sexy woman presence. I yeah. felt like that was the focus. That was why they did it, right. and because of that, I didn't like it. Yeah, well, that, that and that's a beautiful thing about Smoking Man. It didn't really have a script, but um, and Bert just sewed it to people. I mean, if you think about like Smoking Bandit. Like if you think about curb your enthusiasm, and uh, I'm trying to think of another one that does the uh, um, improv type acting. That's kind of what Spooky Bandit was one of the first improv comedies. Uh, now they're just they're just all over the place. You get so many like what Broken Lizard does, and all these other uh, comedy places do, and. Uh, and that's the whole thing. It's like you said, when he pitched Sally Fields, they did not want Sally at all. And he was like, because they said she wasn't sexy enough. And they wanted Farrah Fawcett and they wanted uh, someone like that. I, um, and like I said, my thing is like, would those films help better if there were uh, serious love interests? I just think they're action films. And I don't, I just like, when I was a kid, 12 years old, and I, when an action star had a, Rome. Here's one thing I will give uh, a shout out on better is like, you know, I don't, I think you go too far when you get into like John McClane's character in his wife, the diehard films. I think that's going too far. But if you get 
films like I'm trying to think of something that has a pretty decent female interesting action character um there's very few and that's the problem action films are not don't design but you gotta have mr and mrs smith i mean that's the thing that's like i said that's where you're kind of going too far i and it's unbelievable okay i'm thinking about something more like i'm just trying to give an example okay well the con yeah it's hard to find the the killer yeah there you go um ashton kutcher and um forget the woman's name yeah but then again, you could say there that probably suffers from the male character. <laughs> yeah. But but what I'm trying to say is that's one thing I will kind of give, you know, it's like because uh, obviously I'm watching the film for Bert, you know. Um, I think a lot of times they throw in those characters, well, we want women to watch it. Or, and I think women at that time were watching the film for Bert. They didn't give a care about the women. And uh, and that's the thing. This depends what audience you're going for. And I think that's the hardest thing about when you're dealing with billions of people versus millions of people. Like when you had millions of people, okay, I'm going to go for the guy audience. And so you do guy things, right? I'm going to go for the girls audience and we'll do a million things. And I think I like that in some cases because it's like uh, the Lifetime channel. I expect the Lifetime channel having, you know, that, that thing she was the perfect woman. She had a great job. Everything was going great in her life. Then she met a man, and it ruined her life. Well, I expect that. That's a Lifetime channel. The sports channel, I expect. A guy who kicks butt. He destroys everything, and gets the girl. That's a guy movie, and I expect that. That's my audience. So I don't hate him for that, but what the thing is, as an older person, though, as an older person, I learn later as I, especially when you're talking to someone who's surrounded by women all the time. And I mean that as coworkers, you kind of want that emotional attachment, you know what I'm saying? It's like between a man and a woman as an older person. I think as a younger person, you don't care about that crap. But as an older person, you kind of want like some sort of reality, dig into reality you know, it's like, you know, like Sierra the other day when we were doing a model shoot. And I said, my first thing, she, her makeup has improved. Now, usually I hire a makeup artist for her and she shows up and she's looking great. And I say, you look great. You look better than yesterday. Yesterday, let's say you look like a Cadillac. Today, you look like a Mercedes. But she likes Cadillacs better than Mercedes. So she thought I was insulting her. Because that's her mind, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, you're acting like a girl. Don't do that. <laughs> but that's that's reality writing. That's what you could write upon that because that's a real right. conversation. And that's the problem is like with these films is like, and a lot of it, I'm not going to say I can, do I blame it on James Bond a little bit? Yeah, maybe. Yes. You know. I, I would. And that's the reason why I didn't want to mention that originally or didn't think of mentioning it was because a lot of films in that area did that. And you have James Bond and James Bond was the perfect example that did that. And if this was supposed to be James Bond of the South, then of course it was going to have that. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the issue that you got. But again, like you're a man, you're supposed to make your own decision too. So I can't, I do, I fault them. Yeah. I kind of fault them. 
you 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 could rock you could roll i don't know again that's where you as a director producer say let me find a female and let her write a character right or let me go find a good person to write dialogue for this dude so that's that again that's a preemptive strike and you already said that you felt like this was rushed yeah i agree it's rushed uh, but did they make a lot of money off it? Yeah, I do. Because <laughs> the whole thing is, if I go out there and hire a female writer, what what, what happens? It costs money. I go hire somebody to write dialogue for our strong actor. What happens? It costs money. So that's less money that the film makes. So, you know, whatever. And, of course, I think of it as a gamble. You're going to the thing. But, like I said, now to do it over again, I'm older. Three years, I've learned. Now you get you know, whatever you do, do you learn? Yeah, you learn that you're going to have to do one or two things impromptu, like Smokey and the Bandit, which is, like I said, is probably first improvisational film of comedy, or do a, hire a bunch of writers to write for each individual character. And like I said, now, if you want to get a big payoff, what do you do? You're going to write, you're going to hire a bunch of writers, right? Right, right. You got to do that because... That's the biggest issue that you run into is uh, you've got to develop some good dialogue. And like I said, I just want to get my opinion out there too. Because, uh, and then the question goes to your mind. Now, let me ask you another question regarding the females. Is it that important to have female characters in a film? How important is it? I mean, in any I mean, film. In, in any film? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the story you're telling. Yeah. A film should be focused on the story, and that's what I have so many problems with nowadays is people are always wanting to add stuff into it. Mm -hmm. You know, like if people watch a movie of all white people, they're going to say it's racist because there's not a black person in it. Yeah. And it's like that with everything, and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And so should there be a female in it? It depends on the story it's telling. Now, I agree with that. I can see your point. That's what I'm trying to say is like, you know, it's like I said with the Lifetime channel. Yeah, I think that's cool. BET, I think that's cool. And I think uh, the, the TNN, the National Network, you know, for white people, I think all those are cool. And I I think, I think it's okay for sorry. you to write. What I'm trying to say, it's okay to write things for females. I think it's okay to write people for black people and write things for white people. But at the same time, we don't have to like it and we don't have to hate it you know what i'm saying it's right. like i think uh, it's just a story exactly and uh you know like these things why i mean there's a lot of questions like for instance like we know i'll give you a good example six million dollar man okay lee majors was the highest paid action star on television one of the lowest paid action stars on television was farrah fawcett now explain that one to me Charlie's Angels and Six Million Dollar Man both brought in a lot of income, but Lee Majors made more money than Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. Well, in that time period, there's a lot of sexes. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of sexes in the 70s, too, so that might have to be a big part of it. Right, and I agree with that. But I will say this, though. It's what we expected of men and women, too. See, that's my big issue. You know, 
yeah, Lee Majors. But you know what, Lee Majors? Now, again, Lee Majors was married to Farrah Fawcett. But who was expected to be the breadwinner in the home? The men. Exactly. So the response, of, and again, I, and here's the 21st century. Who's expected to be the breadwinner at home? It depends on the home. I mean, right, exactly. some... but again, but here's the thing: is the responsibility still falls on the man? It's like you know, exactly. guy. I, I would sit there talking, and it's a shame because it's like you go to court and you get divorced, whatever. And most men are avoiding marriages because we were talking about the marriage system, the court system, and that kind of thing. And and you don't have to pay alimony either, right? Well, in state, my state, we don't have to pay alimony. That's fine. But we do have to pay child support. But here's the thing is about it is the woman's not expected to pay child support. She don't go to jail or lose her driver's license for for not paying child support. And for a man who may not be able to make that income, because his half of his income's gone. Like, you get a $1,000 check and think about it. Let's say you make $1,000 a week, which is probably about average income most people, most men, right? All right, $500 right. go to your kids. Now you got $500 that's got to pay for groceries you got a $500 a month uh, utility bill. Don't forget mortgage, which is 300 a month. So you know 800 is probably going to go to utilities and, of course, your thing. And then you got to eat. That's going to be about a couple hundred bucks. And then they want you to continue. Then your rent. Right, your rent and things like that. So all these things are expected of me. And if I don't pay that child support, I lose my driver's license. That drives me to a job to pay my child support. Right. And that in itself, you think about it that way, it is kind of wrong. Yeah. Because then you're still devaluing right. women. Right. And giving it, women more well, and, and here here's here's another here's a good example. Robin Williams commits suicide. I love that guy. Yeah, saddest story. But do you realize that before he died, he owed he was paying ten million to two past wives a year. That was expected because of the state of California, because you had to pay alimony and child support. At the time before he died, he was not making the kind of money that he was making when he first got married to those two women. Basically, he was paying $20 million a year to these women who did nothing but sleep with him <laughs> and have his kids. Now, something is not right. And you're sitting there, like, and like we're saying, we're talking about, we're still. They want us to say we're equal, but we still have to divvy up the the thing. And so, like I said, back in those days, I think everybody expected the man to be the breadwinner. They expected the woman to do the thing. And you know what? Life was good. <laughs> I walked in my house. I had mom and I had dad. I knew dad was going to bring home the money. I knew mom was going to make me dinner. I knew my mom was going to help me with my homework. I knew my dad was going to teach me how to throw a ball. I knew things were normal and everything was cool. And people think that was so oppressive. My mom sure did not like think it was oppressive. <laughs> my mom got a nice check every day. She got a house. She got a car. She got all those things. And she got three kids out of it. But that's somehow oppressive. And my mom did not have to go to work. My mom never had to do a job. She had, she just took care of us kids. And let me tell you, taking care of three boys is a full-time job. But no, nowadays, oh, you got to have a job. And, and having three kids is oppressive, you know. But like I said, back in those days, and that's the reason why, like, you know, the male writers, yeah, they're going to be male writers. 
But I think you got to think about the women, creative women, like I said, the editing process. Women were the best editors in all those films, and I give props and praise to them. Uh, some of your best editors of films are women, and there's a reason why that is. There's a biological reason that is. I'm not going to go over the biological reason why women are better editors, but they are. And so there's a lot of things that women are just better at than we are, and we are better than that, but we're not willing nowadays to accept what we're good at and what they're good at it. But right. So I don't look at it like it was oppression or sexism. I'm just thinking it was, hey, that's when life made sense. <laughs> Back in those days, a woman did not try to get on the NBA, and the men did not try to get on the WNBA. <laughs> You're either going to the NBA or you're going to the or you're going to just not play basketball. <laughs> you know, life just made sense. And for that to to take that fun out of, you know, and again, like I said, we live in America and you have a right to do whatever you want to. And that's the way it should be. And we're and when people say that, well, that's oppressive. We're saying, no, this is the way I live my life. You can live your life the way you want to. You know, that's fine with me. But. Again, That's like what makes America special. Exactly. But like I said, uh, yeah, there's uh, when it comes to the entertainment process of it, the, there's no women in these films. Um, they're real women. There's not like um, a thing about it. I, I, it doesn't bother me as much as I say probably the editing does. The editing bothers me more than the lack of women. But I just want to get your viewpoint on those as we go on because like I said, obviously... Um, women had to be written with more depth in films or there wouldn't be such good entertaining films out there. I mean, like Marianne right. from Raiders of the Lost Ark or uh, Princess Leia from Star Wars. There had to be somebody to come in there and start making these a little bit better, you know? Exactly, for sure. And the poor all these. And plus, we love you, um, Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> And if you're single, please uh, contact me. <laughs> yeah, if you're 85, ready to die in a week, and you got billions of dollars, contact me. I'll send you my email, tobrotakanuru at yahoo.com. That's all I'm asking. You can just have lots and lots of money. I will, I will treat you like a queen for a week, and then when you get in the hospice, I'll still treat you like a queen. You know, I just want somebody to cuddle with. If you have an hourly fee, that's fine. <laughs> but all joking aside, yeah. though, uh, did you um, think that the films was made with passion? Like, I just, I, like it, I just feel like you know. Here's the thing: I look at, it, and and I'll say this again: just because you make a film with passion doesn't mean it's always good. Sometimes making a film for money can be just as good. You know, there's certain people that I think, I think, like I said, the first one was, I think they were, like I said, it's a gorilla crew going out there having a good time. I don't think the second one was. Nobody really wanted it, but it kind of turned out to me better. I mean, still today, as far as I know about, he don't even want to talk about the, the Gator film. Um, he just, because he was so upset, because one thing he was directing, he was in control of it, and he was just wasn't satisfied because he probably didn't have the budget to make what he, his vision was. Um, so I, I think the first one, like I said, they kind of just wanted something to do. You know, they bored, right. and, you know, and, and they did something, because, like I said, Deliverance was a hit, and a lot of that came from that. Um, or 
I would say critically acclaimed. And so, but when you get to the second one, like I said, it's a cash grab. I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, because he's he just wasn't making it's and he didn't because he didn't want to do it. But when you're offered a lot of money, it's hard to say no. And uh, should it have been made? No, he, in his opinion, uh, Burt Reynolds don't think it uh, did not think it should have been made. Um, and a lot of it's because of the inconsistencies. Nowadays, we would have picked that apart. The inconsistencies. Um, back in those days, people just were not that big film buffs in those days, so there wasn't a lot of picking apart with it. But that hurt that film because, like I said, if you got in a Q&A with Burt Reynolds, he just, he didn't want to talk about it. And I know why, you know, and um, what can you say? <laughs> you know what, you know what I think about is like with Jaws 4, <laughs> he said, you know, when they asked the actor about, he says, did you ever see Jaws 4? He's like, no, but I saw the house that it built. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel that way. Burt Reynolds like, did you, did you like working on Gator? I saw the car payment it made and the house payment it made. <laughs> Fair enough. One more thing, because like I said, uh, John Borman, who did uh, Deliverance, um, and uh, about the directing styles. Uh, what particular directing style that diff that differed from these two? What made Deliverance so special? The directing style versus uh, White Lightning's directing style. Why was Borman a better director? In your opinion, do you think he was the better director of the two? Yeah, because um, when you watch Deliverance, it has a better story, and you have these four friends, but and they're on a canoe trip, right. and you are you have this presence where you know that they don't need to go on that canoe trip, right. and it's kind of uh, you know something bad's going to happen, right. and you were supposed that was they did that on purpose and so you knew that and every minute that goes by you're waiting for something to happen right and so in that aspect yes i felt like the directing deliverance was a lot better versus the directing of white lightning was they won all right guys let's try to get five days of shooting done today let's try to get this film done by next week well, even That's if the rush, like. but here, here's here's what I think the reason why Deliverance works better: set up shots. Okay, when you go into the town, and you the people are shot by John Borman when he's no big actors, right? Or you have the landscape large back shots to set up how big and vast this. Uh, Woods is river is woods, yeah. I that's what I'm trying to say is like that's what I think makes a difference. Is okay when they go in the town, right? There's a shot with none of the actors in there, right? There's not a lot of that in White Lightning. Like, 
at the beginning, there's some kind of towards the end, but at the beginning, there should have been like some shots showing how the town was. Right. I and I, I get that. now when you when you get deliverance, you see this large, vast woods. And why do you feel that and you said like these great landscape shots of the river? That sets up a world that we don't like you said, you're like feeling the feeling is that you feel like you don't know what's gonna happen. The problem is with close shots, what happens is you become claustrophobic. And you don't feel the, the setup is there. And that's where I think John Borman rules now, you know, where he excels versus what this has. You know, like I said, I, I'm not, I think they went through Bullet and movies like that and French Connection and they saw those scenes. They probably got those right. But for a story like this, if they want to say that Deliverance was kind of inspiration to it, they could have had more of a set-up landscaping shots of the town. There's some nice little shots of the prison, but when you're seeing a prison, the feeling, psychological feeling of a prison is to be trapped. And then when you got these close shots of Bert outside of the prison, that's where you need to back the camera up, right? To give him more freedom, because he doesn't feel like he's free when you have a camera right on him, there needs to be more of uh, showing that he's free as he's leaving the prison and setting up the town as a and what it is. Like there need to be five to ten minutes of music going over him going into the town and why he wants to go into town. There has to be some sort of motivation for that, and I think that's what John Borman kind of excelled in. Um, that film and i think that's the difference to me but i thought i'd touch on that before we get into something else because directing is a big part of it right setting up those Direct, shots directing does take a lot on a movie a good director and a bad director go a long ways right definitely 